This is Rings of Hell, a No Olympics LA and Knock LA production, examining the history, impact, and possible future of the Olympic Games in Los Angeles. I mean, it's it's dangerous and insulting to to pretend to care about undocumented people and immigrants um, and the unhoused. It's dangerous because the fact that we're not a sanctuary city and that we're just a city of sanctuary, there are no protections that are in place for undocumented people and immigrants. It's dangerous because we're allowing ICE to cooperate with LAPD and the Sheriff's Department, and people die that way. People get sent back to countries where they're going to be killed. Episode four, a very special episode for Eric Garcetti, son of privilege in the City of Angels. Hey all, welcome to episode four of Rings of Hell. I'm your host, Bushido Squirrel, and today we're talking Meg. And by Meg, I mean Mayor Eric Garcetti. We have a very special episode where we're going to look into the history of our mayor boy, his current situation, his connections to the 2028 bid, and his connections to a whole bunch of other corrupt folks who are also pushing this bid. How did he get here? Who were his friends? Who were his enemies? Who were his allies? And why is he so invested in this Olympics bid? Joining me for this episode are Johnny and Rachel from the Democratic Socialists of America Los Angeles chapter and Olympics Los Angeles. How are y'all doing today? Good, thanks. Awesome. So Eric Garcetti, let's start off <laughs> historically. Uh, he just parachuted into the city one day and became mayor boy, right? Right. Superman. Super mayor boy. Um, he uh, grew up in L.A. He's a lifer, basically. Um, he's, I would call, part of a political dynasty, I would say. Um, how should we, how should we talk? Do, I mean, do we want to, <laughs> yeah, he, his his dad his dad is his dad was I guess um, how 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 deep do we want to dig you know because yeah. as, as you know like Eric and from the tops like Eric his origin story is kind of it depends on who whom he's talking to that day too so it's like and sometimes he's an immigrant sometimes he's Italian American sometimes he's a Jewish American sometimes he's military um, I think his story and or in, at least in his own words starts with his great grandfather his grandfather. Sal fled to America after his great-grandfather, uh, uh, Massimo Max Garcetti, was killed. He was hanged during the Mexican Revolution. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so pretty hardcore. We haven't actually gotten to um, find out what the details of that, the circumstances of what what his uh, great-grandfather's politics were, but he was an Italian-American immigrant. I think, obviously, a judge from some money. It seems like he's had wealth for at least four, four generations. Um... I, I consider him a white European Italian American. Um, his great grandfather was hanged during the revolution. Salvador fled to America. Um, that was his uh, son, and I think he was he was so he was born in Mexico. I don't know how long it was until he fled to America. It was in America that he met another woman who had um, was an, at that point in a Mexican American, but who was originally from Mexico. They had a child that ch- in America. That child was Gil Garcetti. Mm-hmm. Gil Garcetti is Silver Fox. Gil Garcetti yeah, he's still, he's still a around. Fox yeah, yeah, for sure. he, we, we can say yeah. He's a good-looking <laughs> guy. He aged well. Um, I'll, I'll concede. You know, I'll give credit where credits due. Um, he was our former DA, and he worked in the DA's office for I think um, I think over thirty-two years. Um, he is probably most famously known. He was at the DA in the nineties, basically had two terms. I forget exactly when it started, but it was right, I think it was right before OJ. Um, he was calling the shots at the end of the day. There were a ton of strategic and tactical errors. Uh, there were also, they'd been covering uh, for the LAPD for so long, and this would, you know, the pendulum was kind of swinging back a little bit. Um, I don't think he handled it that well. 
Uh, it's, maybe that's an understatement. Uh, and his second his second term was kind of marred by um, a lot of the Rampart division, the Rampart scandal stuff coming to bite the LAPD in the ass, which is also has its vestiges in Charlie Beck's 80s and the 84 Olympics, which we already went into. But like, um, so he, he was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but he was connected to the prosecution of the officers from the Rodney King incident because he started his DA career in 92. I, I believe so. Believe, yeah. He was yes. in a position of power, I believe, when the when the ninety two uprising happened. He was he in just, the office. He, I, I forget if yeah. he was actually had um, what matri- I don't know, had, had been, been sworn in yet. Um, because I, I looked in yeah. that too recently, but yeah. not. But he he's been connected to a lot of the kind of uh, law enforcement problems in the nineties, right. where a lot of people know the name Gil Garcetti, especially from American Crime Story, because his character was great in that. Sure. Yeah, he was great, and he and he, but he, yeah, he had been in the system for since um, all of the eighties, uh, and I believe it's some of the seventies at least too. So he had been an ADA and just worked his way up. So he had been part of this machine that had been protecting the most violent police force, maybe even in the world, definitely in America, and still to this day. Um, and you see, uh, so so that is his father, <laughs> who's I, you know, I, I I don't know what his politics are like now, and I think he probably is like socially liberal. Like Eric on a lot of things, and is actually, but is pro cop, but then they're pro military. Do what you got to do, law and order. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a dangerous town. LA has all these, has all these different um, ethnicities like warring with each other, right? And, like and, we and need he, all these cops. And he, like his son, also aspired to higher office beyond DA. Well, right, and I think even the show makes makes note of that. Um, is that he was looking at, you know, and he had he had the telegenic presence. I think he, I think he very easily could have been mayor, just knowing that how easy it is to elect someone if you have yeah. some sort of recognition and if you're a good looking guy and you're charming in the press. Um, so and a lot of people think that. Um, the the OJ t- trial in particular really kind of killed that, and then the rest of the nineties. That by that point it was a foregone conclusion. I think he's been retired basically from public life since then. Yeah. I think he's done some projects here and there, some nonprofits or some art things. And I, mean, I would his- vote for him before Eric. Like even now, like I would vote for Gil first because I think his like his charisma was more natural than Eric Garcetti's is, and like we can get into that later as this like forced. Um, force niceties that he has and um things like that but Gil definitely had the charisma he had this like genuine energy about him but i don't think anyone could last you know rampart rodney king and oj this like blatant corruption that was poorly covered up he probably could have gone to higher office and you know if i forced with a choice which garcetti would you rather definitely <laughs> Gil. <laughs> I, yeah, I think he. Um, I th- kind of. I hate the game. Who would you rather? <laughs> I mean, but I guess that's um, that's electoral politics. I guess. Um, but uh, yeah, it's in. I mean, for weird reasons, probably the same. Um, but he. But you know. Um, uh, he, I don't know what the, the DAs were getting paid then, but like they grew up, and I think you know, I think they've had money, all, all generational money on and off, or at least at least. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so, so they had money. They went. He grew up, I think, in Encino and in um, Brentwood. I want to say. Um, I'm not sure when he made the move. Um, grew up very comfortably. He went to this experimental um, UCLA lab school, um, where they probably told him he was a genius. That's what I would imagine. Um, um, he uh, later went to Harvard Westlake, which a lot of no Olympians and ground game related people uh, came from. Uh, I, I used to debate them a lot in high school. Right. They're yeah. a pretty storied, like private institution right here on the West Coast. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's in the name. If you're not from here, it's sound. It, it's 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 in a it's an elite private school. I went to one as well, uh, like, like this, not in LA. Um, just full disclosure. Uh, 
Um, but a lot of people with really good and really bad politics came out of that school. Uh, Casey Wasserman also came out of there. Um, uh, Jeff Millman. A lot of the people working around, directly on the, the 2028 bid went there. And a lot of people fighting it. For- I did not. Yeah. Can I just say, as someone who did not go to Harvard-Westlake, I'm proud products of LUSD. Hell yeah. My high school constantly lost to them in journalism competitions solely on the basis that we could not afford colored newspapers every single month. We could only afford to raise money for three issues a year. But every month, Harvard-Westlake had that really, really good income. So they always won. Yeah. But I, would just I mean, like when to you're paying literally the cost of college, yeah. right? you, you, your student <laughs> journalism paper better look good. I think our content was better. I'm not sure if I should have outed myself. Oh, I don't care. I have nothing to hide. <laughs> um, uh, but no, but I mean, it's cool. Like, uh, yeah. Um, he, he, you know, he, I think it's, you know, I don't, it doesn't seem like a person who ever wanted for anything. Um, he obviously, his parents had access to power. I think he did a lot of um, um, uh, kind of, I'm sure he had the ability to do, to do whatever he want academically. I think he did well academically. I think um, yeah. he uh, was also involved in theater. I'm not sure uh, sports-wise, ultra extracurricular because he, he pretends he, he, he fancies himself kind of a sporto right now um, but I don't know if he actually was at the time and I'd be kind of curious to learn about that um, what his actual appreciate I, I, it's my theory that he co-opted it because it's convenient yeah in a sports town <laughs> yeah. Name, yeah name a town that isn't a sports town I guess but um um, so we've got, you know, like little Garcetti's probably not like, you know, just probably like I can imagine him being really like a good student and being very kind of um, bootlicking and like uh debate teamy and um and, and all that jazz uh and wearing like a tie even though you don't have to kind of a kid like a little ben shapiro almost but like a liberal one oh um <laughs> i mean and well, this is real talk know, this is what this one is. of the things that we have in common i will say is that both of us were highly influenced by our ap us history mm. teachers and that's when he got into politics that's also when i got into politics mm. yeah little known fact both of us liked our ap us teachers um i did but, as well but i think he like was one of the touchy guys that like later He was great. He used to read us funny Bush quotes at the beginning of every class. Yeah, he was down. Um, But yeah, so Garcetti and I have that in common. But we can think we can thank that class for that. He was also involved in Junior State of America. So I am not entirely sure. It sounds a bit like model UNE, but specific to the U.S. and U.S. politics. Yeah. So I. Oh, kind of sort of like going through the parliamentary kind of like moot court, but like for having a congressional session. Yeah. 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 Stuff that you're like. It must have been left in the 80s because we didn't have that. Or that must be a very specific private school thing. Yeah, I don't. It's all uh, it's all Greek to me. (laughs) So once he uh, matriculated out of the uh, private school uh, arena here, where did he go to college? Did he travel the world? Where where did young uh, where did young uh, uh, sorry, Eric go off to? He went to Columbia for his uh, for his undergrad and got his B.A. in poli sci and urban planning, which obviously like I think I think he's known since he was like in third grade, like all of his everything seems very calculated. Um, Yeah. um, uh, I mean, having gone to school with a few people who have turned into like elected politicos, uh, they were groomed from a very young age. Like sports, so he doesn't go to parties. Yeah, he's like always wearing khakis. It was very—it's very strange when you when you're meeting these people who are groomed for that kind of office. Yeah. No, it's the same thing. It's like where these things don't happen by accident. Like your or your AOCs or your like. Uh, you know, he's he's obviously an establishment politician. Yeah. You know, so, sorry to bury the lead, but he's just you know, like he's he's going through all the things that you would do if you were an establishment Democrat in the 80s or 90s. Um, uh, so he's te- chick- uh, ticking all those boxes. He goes to, Columbia is an Ivy League school, right? 
technically, or close enough, or it's like mm, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Right. But I, I don't know. I, I I didn't go to Ivy League school. Um, We're um, gonna get bombarded by Yaleys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he but he went to like the opposite city, obviously, because I think mm-hmm. he knew he probably wouldn't be back in 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 he'd be back in L.A. probably for the rest of his life. Um, he got far away as far away as he could continentally, I think. Uh, did his thing there. He traveled. Did a lot of like I don't know if it was connected to. Um, uh, like religi- religious outreach, but he, I think he did humanitarian work. He went on trips to Ethiopia, Eritrea, in uh, Myanmar. Um, I, I think he was a Rhodes Scholar at some point. Um, uh, I know he was. Um, he got his master's also at Columbia, and then he met his future wife in uh, the UK. They were both studying at Oxford. They were Rhodes Scholars, so they were both you know super, I think, ambitious people and uh, invested in academia. Um, it seems it seems fairly boilerplate for uh, someone very privileged and sort of academically gifted. Like he's not yeah. doing anything super exciting or super crazy. It's all pretty much academic track. What is we? What was he yeah. uh, studying at Oxford while he was a Rhodes Scholar? Um, he he got his PhD in uh, ethnicity and nationalism. Wait, we've been, the, we should have been calling him Doctor Meg this whole time. Um, so, it's a, it said yeah. he was pursuing. I don't know if he actually achieved it. Um, I don't know if he this that like evasive. You know, PhD. That and yeah, happened. I mean, he studied at a lot of places. You know, he, like you, we wait, met. We know, sorry to interrupt. We know if he was a doctor. He, I think we. we that, that was yeah, he would be talking about. I'm a doctor. I'm a soldier. I'm a lawyer. But he did some like postgraduate studies beyond a master. Towards yeah, towards in ethnicity and nationalism, which based on our national. I don't know if that's been that jumping ahead anyway we're going to talk about nationalism and fascism at some point and um so that kind of actually tracks um and then by the time he ended up back here before he started uh, his civil servant life uh he uh, i think it was briefly uh had a stopgap year as like a assistant professor at occidental but i haven't been able to kind of source much and that's around the turn of this last century um before he, I don't know if you want to get into city council, what he's done, because I think it was at 2001 or 2000. I just, before we even close with the school stuff, I just want to say, you know, for someone who's studied at so many different institutions and who has traveled so much before getting back to LA, he's still so boring. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that that's like a petty thing to say, mm-hmm. but for someone who has studied at so many different places around the world, he just, I feel like there's such a lack of personality and culture. And I, that just really bothers me. Like as someone who has also lived abroad and studied right. abroad, I feel like right. that definitely gives some sort of flavor to your personality. Like you bring I, it with you somewhere. Yeah, you bring like it your with experiences. you. Your just your public appearances, or, you know, the way that you interact with other people, and I feel like that's missing as someone who's lived on like just just lived in a lot of places. It's can we, just, yeah, I mean, on that note, can we talk about like you know, I don't know what point he learned it. If I, I would assume probably early um, that he got like a, a handle on Spanish. And he throw, he speaks Spanish a lot, and like while in spirit, I'm like, yeah, that's great that we we I think they don't go far enough in in pushing language justice at city hall. But when he does it, it's that Peggy Hill stilted kind of robotic, <laughs> like um, Tim Kaine thing that he saw yeah, we saw a couple years ago. It's it feels so forced and it feels so disingenuous, and that it like makes me cringe and like kind of like wish he wasn't even doing it at all. Like it, it just as a white person myself, it makes makes me embarrassed for another white person. He he always feels like he's in the city but not part of the city. Like he's sort of been badly composited on to wherever he's going, whatever he's doing. There's a kind of Simone-ness to it all. It's over rehearsed. It's over. Um, it's if you if you stop and look at anything he does, you know that's the thing. It's like if most people aren't, if it's just in the background, it passes, right? Yeah. He passes the Voight comp test from like Blade Runner or whatever. Like if you're not paying attention, but if you look at him in the eye, there's something, 
there's something kind of off, right? You can mm-hmm. see it in his smile. Mm-hmm. I think he has no one's favorite smile. He's around. just dead eyes. Yeah. There's something... Yeah. No, I met him at the She Does did a conference for, you know, when bridge housing was getting kicked off. And he came by to shake Mel's hand and Carlos's hand. And, like, I just happened to be in the group. And he, like, shook my hand. It was the weirdest handshake I've ever seen. And, like, just kind of like he was looking through me. It was yes. very weird. Um, he just has a very politician air about him. How was his handshake? Kind of clammy yes, and sort of limp. This. I was sort no. of like, that was not an impressive handshake, sir. That's yeah. interesting. I actually got to shake Casey Wasserman's hand because I was trying to take a photo with him um, last year. And it was... Um, sh- uh, stronger than I would imagine. I expected her. I, b- I believe both of their hands are very smooth. Their, their palms are very well, smooth. Well, because one of they work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I think I think Casey Wasserman probably has a more hardcore trainer, and he's more probably into like that CrossFit life, where it's like. And I'm into cardio too, but I think it, Eric is definitely a cardio guy. Like yeah. you see, you see him when he goes he's on a hike a, with yeah. Justin Trudeau. You know what I mean? He's um, like a real housewife. He's got the dead yes. eyes, into cardio, weak handshake. Yeah. No shade to the housewives. Yeah, Love but, them. but without but. like a drinking problem or something like that. Like he's not that. I don't know. Um, but but once uh, Eric uh, got finished with school and then did a little per- assistant professorship at Occidental, which also a storied Amer- uh, California college, having produced uh, Richard Nixon for a little bit, mm-hmm. and uh, even uh, Obama. Barack Obama started there. Um, he uh, doesn't seem to have much like of a business or professional career as far as like being a lawyer or anything. It seems like he hopped directly into politics pretty quickly. Yeah, he took all like the kind of vaguer poli sci kind of things that you need for these things. He wasn't a bit, he wasn't a Mitt Romney, even though I would argue his politics actually are very similar to Mitt Romney's. And he kind of is that robotic kind of milk toast white person that could be a moderate Republican or a liberal. He's so far center. Mm-hmm. Um, and wherever he lives, it just kind of depends. On yeah, his exactly. Yeah. yeah, he's very much kind of. Um, you know, trying to please everyone at all points. And I think that's um, eventually, I think he's painting himself into a corner, but like it, you know, he's kind of a, he's very, he's he's self-aware of it. He makes jokes about, he's like, I'm, I'm the most hyphenated, you know, like I'm whoever, you know, I'm a soldier. Cause he, I, I forgot where in the timeline this is. I think it must, it's around this part, but when he, or I think it was in the aughts, it was post 9-11 when he, when he um, was in the reserves for Navy, Navy reserves. Um, that's what it was. Cause, cause you, so yeah, I mean the most, <laughs> of course you will. Cause if you think in 20 years, I'm going to run for president. It's nice to have that in your back pocket. Uh, but so how did he uh, get onto city council? What was that, uh, that kind of trajectory like? Like what? Uh, I'm, I'm not even sure what uh, city council district he represented. CD now, thirteen. Thinking, he oh, he was CD yes. thirteen. Yes. So yeah. he used to live in Echo Park, which I and I've Silver Lake too, baby. Or I'm yeah. not sure exactly where, but somewhere in that kind of. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off. No, no, no you're like, fine. You're fine. Yeah. No, he used to live in Echo Park, and yeah, he was in charge of CD thirteen. He eventually became president of city council too. So mm. he was kind of just ascending these ranks, uh, very slowly, very diligently, doing really, you know, obviously community focused work. One of one of my biggest issues with him was he started this program called Untag, and it's a very long acronym that starts for uniting neighbors or neighborhoods to abolish graffiti (laughs) you know i mean street art was coming up in the mid aughts right exactly i I, you know i'm from bacoima i grew up around a lot of street art and graffiti however you want to call it i actually really appreciate it i love it if you don't give space for folks to have a voice they're going to make their voice seen and heard Mm. and sorry to interrupt too i didn't know about this until like a year or two ago there's a big muralism um uh 
moratorium for like 10 years yeah that was lifted that, that wasn't happening then so it was also in the rise of like graffiti and street art and blah 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 and um yeah there were some cases out in venice where the city came by and was like oh you have to take down this mural because you're not allowed to have murals anymore and oh like gosh. it was it was very brutal because they they kind of ham-fistedly cracked down on all kind of public art all for art. a while yeah. yeah and especially it was during the the are we trying to outlaw billboards kind of like fight during the the early tens the mega graphics yeah yeah it was just part of that and they just were like we're gonna crack down on alleyway murals in Venice and you're like that's literally one of the only good things about Venice why are you doing that yeah exactly yeah at that time right so to your point is if you don't provide that space it's gonna proliferate no matter what exactly and I just thought that it was so I don't know classic Garcetti to like go after something that was actually just like it's a creative expression as well as a political expression you know and it was coming after you know um, a post you know Giuliani broken windows uh, mm-hmm. that how he f***ed up New York and I think they, a lot of people were looking at New York and like this is how you this is how you cleanse a city mm-hmm. through through going after you know graffiti like <laughs> not like not like uh, the the uh, addressing any of the factors that create, you know, why why people get into crime or vandalism or whatever. Yeah, so his pro-LAPD stance is not something new since he's mayor. This is something we see through his city council career. Exactly. Yeah, and it's in his DNA for stuff with his dad, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, to be honest, I actually didn't get a chance to, lot, to flesh out a lot of the um, city council stuff, and like a lot of it seemed really kind of unshockingly like boring. Well, I mean, his big, um, you know, uh, legacy here in CD thirteen is that he left as Mitch O'Farrell, who no right. one likes, <laughs> yeah. and that's who is your terrible. Who, yeah, yeah, y'all, y'all ran a yeah. candidate. No, we actually, against... we, we, somebody saw him. Uh, he goes to the same gym as uh, one of our team members. Uh, uh, and he was wearing a Mitch O'Farrell shirt in the gym while he was working out, and you're just Mitch like, O'Farrell was, was wearing a Mitch O'Farrell shirt. <laughs> Don't be that guy. No, it's kind of strange. But uh, then, <laughs> incredible. In uh, so he ran for mayor in uh, 2013 for the first time. No, I'm sorry. Yes, Two, it, yeah. it was 2013. Yeah. Yes, yes, it was that cycle. And that was uh, against Wendy Gruel. It was it was it was a dogfight. I remember. Um, yes, and it was to replace uh, Vera Gosa. Yeah. Do you want to talk about him at all? I mean, he just, you know... Because they're kind of similar, right? Like, Garcetti and Viragosa, well, in some ways. Well, Viragosa came from... He came from a community organizing standpoint. Well, like, he's true, one yeah. of those guys like Marquise Harris-Dawson who, like, has all the bona fides, and then as soon as they get into office, you're like, who have we elected? Because you're, like, a Republican now. Like, what are you doing, sir? Mm-hmm. So it went from, like, Tom Bradley, just, like, a brief history of, like, mm-hmm. mayors. It was, like, Tom Bradley, Richard Reardon, who served for five terms. Oh, no, 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 no. Tom Bradley served for five mm-hmm. terms. And he brought Reardon the Olympics replaced. in the 80s. Yeah, oh and now you know the international terminal LAX, and then yeah. Reardon replaced Bradley, and then Viragosa served for two terms. And that was the odds, basically, yes. and then to twenty. And now we're into Garcetti versus Wendy Gruel. And she was more, I think, backed by Labor, if I'm not yes, mistaken. And she, she seemed was. to be more actually progressive and better on. You and know, I think she was we also would a pro- city council member, correct? I forget what her bona fides were. Yes, um, she she was a city council member, and I know this because Garcetti's deputy chief of staff currently, which we can get into later, yeah. uh, was one of her um, aides. He was a right. legislative director oh, that's right. okay. for her. So, yeah, so he kind of, that was a close one. That was kind of a squeaker, but I think he had a lot of money and he had a lot of goodwill and brand recognition, and he won. And he went, I remember, I, you know, because I think he was doing parties in, you know, uh, Silver Lake and stuff. I remember hanging out at a lot of parties with Moby and Steve Aoki and like um, Questlove would show up in DJ, you know, all these like kind of like liberal people and you're like, okay, cool. Because I, I work in like music coverage and stuff yeah. like this and like that was just around and he was using my friend's venues and stuff like that. That's how he became on my radar, I think really. 
and um, I think he was really playing up the Hollywood mayor kind of thing. But I think he was also obviously doing really um, uh, big lip service to to addressing, um, you know, ob- you know, homelessness has been a problem forever, or you know, for for a long, long time here. Um, infrastructure issues, which every all sides seem to care about, environmental issues. And I think he's talked since then a huge like progressive game, whether it's about greenness or immigration or what's that? The greenness thing. Sorry, I don't want to cut you off, but I do want to talk about the greenness thing. Okay. Can I? So. Or do you want me to take that yeah, over again? Okay. No, no, finish. Yeah, and uh, then I can just get into. Yeah, that. he. Yeah, he's he's talked a big game on um, all sorts of issues, whether it's um, immigration. Um, homelessness, housing, inequity, and um, being green. Yeah, and my issue with him specifically with regards to, you know, talking about game about being green is that he, you know, Viragosa passed, I believe in June 2012, um, a, it's like, I guess like a law, if you want to call it a law, but basically it just kind of said that folks could only water their grass twice a week because we were in the middle of that massive drought mm-hmm. and I think it was like 19 months later Garcetti was like we're good you know you can start watering your grass like three, three times a week yeah, yeah. and it was it just ruined you know all of the like water that we had saved you know this like it just was so bad for the environment so to hear him talk about like wanting green energy and all of these things it's like you deliberately rolls back protections for the environment that were good and just because a lot of your rich donors were irritated that their grass was dry and brittle like first of all grass is not natural in LA nobody should be having that grass so you know it would have been better for us to not have it but you know it was just kind of like giving in to his rich donor base he's a corporate democrat so that's who he was listening to which is frustrating yeah he folds so easily now before we'll, we'll get into that in a second as far as his, his term of mayor uh, but real quick to, to uh, just cover he won again in 2017 in a very lackluster election I remember this one it was not super exciting I don't even remember who the also rands were uh, I think I voted for Garcetti just by default at that point um, I wasn't as politically connected to LA as I am now but it wasn't nothing about it was great it was very low voter turnout people I think it was like 200,000 people he brags about the percentage of what he won but he, he barely the lead of the fact that like I think it was historically low turnout yeah. um, um, and obviously LA suffered for that um, for a long time and part of that is the consolidation of new elections meant that his second term got an extra year and a half tacked onto it so yeah. he so a five and a half year term so we've got him to like the mid 2022 unless we'll talk other contingencies yeah. later but like that's a long ass time um, he's you know he also took advantage of winning that that election under the, the last two years was the national election cycle. Mm-hmm. People are checked out. Um, yeah, I, you know, incumbents obviously have like an advantage. It's it's really expensive and difficult to run on anything in LA because of how we're set up. Like especially city council, which is mostly the feeder, at least the modern feeder of the mayor. Yeah. Um, we can talk about some other who might be next later, too. But, you know, overall, that 2017 kind of April, the last off year election was really depressing in a lot of ways. That was obviously when we ran against Mitch here uh, with Jessica Salen's campaign. Uh, yeah. We doubled voter turnout from eight to about 16 percent in CD 13 here, which, you know, for an off year election like that's really sad that like uh, that literally less than 10 percent of the people would show up to, to vote. But it it. Overall, that election left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths, and it seemed sort of like City Hall was a little bit stagnant. Have we seen any growth from there? Like, now that he's into his second term, 
are we seeing what are we seeing him do? What do you think he's pushing for outside of the Olympics? We'll talk more general stuff before we we kind of zoom in on that. Well, everything is, uh, you know, I think it's hard. You know, I think we've I think he's his real goal is like higher office of some sort. So all it's all threaded through that. So no matter what it is, is like L.A. is not the priority. His political ambition is so whether that's a Senate run or, or a pres- failed pre- presidential run down the line, he is serving himself. But obviously, he's never going to say that. He's never going to admit that. Like, um, I think he's trying to, uh, you know, I think he's really soft on sanctuary because he's thinking about right wing people. He says the stuff about, you know, the sidewalk. He's back. Tra- he's kind of walking back and forth on the sidewalk ban, like, you know, bringing that back into play or not. I think because he's just. I think he wants to please everyone, and that's obviously like. I understand the political instinct, but like everyone at a certain point is going to want to, if they are politically engaged. And I think his basic philosophy is like hoping that people aren't, whether it's the Olympics, whether it's the green, green stuff. Like he's, I think he's assuming that people just won't read the fine print. People are stupid. People are apolitical and are are checked out. And like some, to some extent that might be true or that, that, or that's explained like why he's gotten to rise and fall upwards as this like prototypical, like mediocre, like white dude. I mean, it's it's dangerous and insulting to to pretend to care about undocumented people and immigrants um, and the unhoused. It's dangerous because the fact that we're not a sanctuary city and that we're just a city of sanctuary, there are no protections that are in place for undocumented people and immigrants. It's dangerous because we're allowing ICE to cooperate with LAPD and the Sheriff's Department. And people die that way. People get sent back to countries where they're going to be killed. Um, their families here are not going to have anyone to look after them. It's scary to kids who are left without parents and family members. So it's 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 dangerous in that way. It's insulting because he does think that people are not political, that people are too too silly to understand what he's doing. We're not, though. Like, we understand that he's trying to fold to these Obama-Trump voters who, by the way, don't exist in California. You're supposed to be focusing on L.A. right now. And even if you kind of just, like, zoom out and think about the national, about to think about national politics, you know, L.A. is big enough that if we're, we're loud in um, opposition to Garcetti, that will matter. The fact that your massive city is not behind you is actually going to mean something. So it's also just like a poor political calculation on his part. Um, and especially with like the unhoused stuff, you know, housing crises are all over this country. They're in LA, they're in New York, they're in everywhere in between the two coasts. And for him to act like he can just walk back Jones protections, um, which allows folks to sleep on the sidewalk between 9 p.m. and 6 a.m. and have no one say anything about it is is insulting. And that is dangerous, too, because, you know, folks have nowhere to go. We don't have enough beds. He's doing nothing about it. Um, to, yeah. to flesh out a little bit, the, the Jones protections come out of the lawsuit from a man named uh, David Jones, I believe, against the city of Los Angeles, saying you can't criminalize me for being on the street if you don't have shelter beds or permanent supportive housing. A judge agreed and said this is inhumane. People have to be allowed to have shelter somehow. Garcetti says that we met the incredibly low number of beds that that, that judge set, uh, which was also pegged to a decade ago. It wasn't percentage yeah. wise. Yeah, right? it was, like it's just it was like an a, absolute a, number, like yeah. 1,200 beds. And so he's like, that's fine. You know, the, the unhoused population is like quadrupled. But he's been making a big push to kind of renovate that. Uh, Mitch O'Farrell here in CD13 
is obviously pushing the street vendors out of Hollywood. And this kind of goes hand in hand with his allyship with uh, Charlie Beck, who became LAPD chief in 2009, left early in 2018 uh, under a lot of community pressure. So Garcetti's cover in the city isn't as effective as a lot of, as I think he wants to believe it is. So let's let's talk about the kind of initiatives he's pursuing with City Hall and how successful they've been. Like what kind of like popular H, yeah. political support does he have in the city right now? I mean, in the big picture, I think um, I think the the walls are kind of closing in on all sides with him right now. The right obviously hates him. Um, uh, uh, kind of centrists, I think, are starting to get really impatient and worried uh, about um, tr- you know Triple H's first year coming in. I think at like forty percent under what it was promised, and which is still, if if successful. Um, uh, a drop in the bucket. We like yeah. to say, you know, you know, this is this is this is money for ten years that's supposed to go towards um, affordable housing and public housing, right? And and shelters are coming out of that too. Obviously, this morning, um, <clears throat> Garcetti and Mike bon- Councilmember Mike Bonin were supposed to be in Venice for um, to to go door to door, at least to like at the beginning of this canvas thing to talk to people and ro- get people excited about, hey, we're going to build a shelter in Venice. Let's try to get people on board for this, which they promised to do. Um, I don't know if he got word that. Um, anti-homeless people, homeless um, protesters and, you know, pro-unhoused um, organizers were going to show up. They both canceled. They were no-shows. We had some people down there today. Um, I think I, I would actually assume he's they're probably more afraid of the, the far-right people because that's who, like, these forces typically, you know, cow to. I feel like... Um, uh, so, but I th- but it's funny to have two groups of people showing up on that are diametrically opposed, also unhappy. Um, <laughs> Who are all mad at you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and even in, in there's like shades of nuance in between that. Like you know, some people are pro shelter no matter what. Like a lot of groups we work with are shelter, t- you know, but taking out the criminalization. He's kind of trying to dance and play all sides, and like he's going to end up in either way. Like these shelters don't won't. Whether they, you know, hopefully they won't have cops at them, and they, well, they'll be tracking um, well, unhoused people. They're, but, they're spending thirty million on on enforcement and twenty nine on shelters. Right, right. They're spending yeah. so much of the money on policing. This is like a theme that all the, the organizers are like ha- are hammering him on. You know, he's building, he's behind building new jails. He's a uh, backer of this new uh, chief of p- police who's supposedly a data guy, a stats yeah. nerd. Michelle who's Moore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or Michael, yeah. so you pronounce it, but yeah. I say the French way. Well, yeah, because supposedly he was bullied as a kid, his from, from friends, because he grew up in the south i grew up in the south like come on like i don't know like so he, he goes by michael because it sounds more macho and less like european or whatever um but he say he he claims that this new uh, he you know he hired the new police chief but who's one of charlie beck's old boys um actually gonna, charlie beck beat him out for the job i mean oh sorry not um charlie beck's old, one of um daryl gates's old buddies uh, he used to be his um um uh commanding officer when he shot two people um yeah. Um, all sorts of terrible things about Michael Moore. He's going to be the same, if not worse, in different areas. Um, uh, so Gar- Garcetti's definitely, if you're a law and order guy, you probably like Garcetti for that stuff, but you probably hate him because of potholes and homeless people. Yeah. You know, people hate him because of the homeless problems for, for a lot of different reasons. Some people because they're, they're worried for their own safety or because they believe homeless people shouldn't exist. Um, uh, Other people because they want to see people in houses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he he's done so much stuff. He's been missing so much from LA, and we've been kind of a big, uh, I think, group. Kind of, we started a website called Where's, Where's Garcetti dot com to track him, um, and we I think we were helpful in pushing that narrative. And he's also been using a lot of LAPD money, uh, you know, resources when he's on the road all the time. And the LA Times is suing him now. Yeah, let, uh, let's get the, in, yeah, let's sorry. get into that in a second. Uh, before we do that, let's talk a little bit of palace intrigue here, uh, because his chief of staff uh, Zabo 
is an interesting person. And Rachel, you've been doing some like oh my God, yeah. some deep dives into this. I actually have here. You obviously can't see it because this is a podcast, but I have his LinkedIn page. I printed it out because it was so interesting to me. I don't really understand who this guy is and where he's going. So he used to work for Reardon. He was um, government affairs manager for Reardon from 2000 to 2001. And then he was a city council liaison for his office. He then, uh, you know, was a research and policy coordinator for Californians for Reardon. He worked for Reardon for a few years, switched over to Wendy Gruel, and then, you know, worked for Rocky Delgadillo, who was famous for misusing, he was was our city attorney here in LA, and was just famous for misusing taxpayer dollars, ruined a city car, had his aides watch his children for him. Then he worked for Bob Hertzberg, then he went on to Viragosa, and now here we are. He was one of the aides who transitioned uh, between Viragosa and Garcetti, and now he's still here with us. Um, I find his trajectory really interesting. He was one of the proponents, one of the um, big backers behind the unhoused measures that we have, Triple H mm. um, specifically. And he actually represents Garcetti on the uh, Triple H Admin Oversight Committee. Oh, so okay. he is really tied into housing issues and was also one of the few people who spoke from Garcetti's office about his comments regarding the Jones protections and mm. said, we may enforce them, we may not enforce them, which is really wishy-washy. We only they... enforce them around shelters. We right, might that's the newest only clarification. Right. Where there are yes. tourists, yeah. Um, but the, it seems like with Zabo, uh, we keep seeing these linkages between Garcetti and the big money networks yes. here in LA. And yeah. I feel like there's a connection to the Olympics in that. Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if you want to get into this. I just, you know, I tweeted about this because I'm 26. I remember, you know, Viragosa was mayor for a large part of my upbringing here. Uh, obviously, Gil Garcetti was a big part of the early 90s for me. I've heard these names before. I know all of these names. I just didn't realize how interconnected they all were. And so I tweeted about it, <laughs> almost like rhetorically, like, did no one know about this? Yeah. And got a lot of interesting responses where people were like, no one didn't care. Of course we knew, you know, whatever. But I was just a little bit shocked last night going through, you know, all of these webs. I don't know if you want to dig into how this relates to the Olympics, but it's there. You know, we, we talked about this in the uh, 84 episode too, but um, there's a lot of dynastic kind of connections just to the 1980, the people who brought the 1984 Olympics, like Peter Ubroff is Casey Wasserman's like father-in-law. You know what I mean? Um, there's, and there are other people that worked on different administrations that have carried over or their children have. Um, it's very provincial in LA, obviously, or maybe not obviously for people, but um, small town, uh, if you see the last name, <laughs> Uh, and it sounds like, you know, someone else, it, it, it almost definitely is. Uh, and yeah, there's this whole network of uh, good old boy LA booster money. You know, that's also tied to like the 84 Foundation and also the stuff that we've unpacked and will unpack. Um, and there's obviously tons of media um, companies that are based in LA that Garcetti knows. Um, you know, th- and those are also, there's also connections through the university system, through US, you know, USC's Annenberg, the head of Annenberg uh, is a woman, a former broadcaster who's Bob Iger's wife, you know, um, who Bob Iger is the CEO of Disney, who's on the LA bid committee. Yeah, and, you know, it's like all, yeah, it's all, there is like a map that we at some point will make um, of, of like who wins and where this money is going and how it uses schools, how it uses public and private institution, how it uses NGOs. Um, 
and it's there and all these people are waiting to get their hands on some of these money and resources to boost whatever their agendas are. And Garcetti, uh, to his credit, I guess, has collected quite a war chest yes. uh, for <laughs> his political runs, whatever they may be in the future. Let's talk a little bit about that because he's he's not a small fry. $31 million, according to uh, California Public Radio? Yeah, he, um, he used to talk a big game about being anti-corporate money when he was running for office and um, about being anti-big money. He even said, I think, you know, he's a famous... Yeah, yeah. He's like, he's like, I, he's like, I won't take money from Walmart for so and so, and then he did, and then he took over a hundred thousand dollars from them. Um, a lot of it's been couched. I'm, I, I forget if the Walmart's was specifically couched in the idea of this behested payment, which is this like, you know, you know, mumbo jumbo like just thing that that's made up a, a way for there to be dark money um, to, for people to throw projects. So that's what that thirty-one million is coming out of. He has the largest set of uh, like. Uh, it's called the mayor's fund and it's behested payments. And um, I'm not an economist, so I won't even unpack what that means. But I think long story short, it's just a way for people to give large uh, amounts of money without, you know, uh, circumnavigating uh, campaign finance rules, if any such exist at this point. I don't even know. Um, but so he's taken money from all sorts of people, like like I said, big corporations, um, um, a whole bunch of sex creeps like Harvey Weinstein, Harvey Weinstein, which he actually gave back because that was like a big enough story. But he's uh, Kevin Spacey used to do some fundraising for him. Um, uh, this guy Samuel uh, Lung, who is a, a corrupt developer, who gave I think money to so many people in City Hall. I think it's like maybe five or six other City Council members okay. that they might not. I feel like it might. No one. I mean, for a lot of reasons, there might not be any accountability, even though it's like, I think literally handing over like briefcase full of $60,000 in cash. Um, so that's a story that that times I think broke earlier this year. Uh, um, so people are starting to ask questions, especially as his, you know, the, are you running for president? Are you running for whatever? Uh, I think he will have more scrutiny by a press that is actually like, uh, and, I, and I think the LA times has been, has been doing their job recently on him specifically. And like, kind of, you know, the day they did, they, they said that they were going to, um, sue the city was the first day that they were in their new building as they were, you know, with the new guild and everything. I think that was like not a m mistake. So basically he won't disclose how much money the LAPD uh, spends on security, which is, you know, tax when he, like, flies off to when Iowa. he flies off to or Iowa, Myanmar, or, sorry, uh, yeah. Thailand, Thailand. Uh, you know, he just got back from Asia on a 10 day uh, trade mission. Yeah. Or when he's in Delaware or New Hampshire, or all these places that he needs to be in or at the border. Cause wh wherever there's a camera, he'll be there or wherever people are giving out money. He'll be there. Like a month ago, we broke a story um, that he was going to be out of town for quote unquote four days on personal business. It was also, I think the July 4th weekend when a lot of, center center right people go to like Martha's Vineyard and 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 grovel at the at the feet of billionaires or whatever and like I I'm you know I can't prove that but I'm pretty I speculate that that's what's happened there that's what happens when he's in Asia that's what happens when he was for two years of doing Olympic trips in Lausanne Switzerland or Lima Peru and hanging out you know I think I think it's it's using that LA network of good old boys and just he wants to go national international he wants to yeah. go big he needs that war chest for whatever's next and um and I think he's still you know, LA still is somewhat of a, a news desert, even though the Times, I think, is doing what they can specifically around him um, and transparency. But. And he, he's definitely sending out feelers for a national run. I remember uh, oh, like a month or so ago, the LA Times had a story that seemed like it was obviously planted by his PR folks. But what is the press making of his uh, presidential run or his possible presidential aspirations? I 
<laughs> I get Google alerts for Garcetti and at least four or five times. <laughs> yeah, where we shouldn't. Um, at least four or five times a week, there's an article from some random Tribune, you know, weekly thing. about. There's like Governor Magazine or, or Governing yeah, Magazine about, or something. Like, could LA's mayor be the next president? It's That's like how very, they're framing it. Yeah, yeah, they're just like hyping him up. Like, could he, could he, could he? It's like, obviously, that's what he's trying to do. I know folks who are on a tentative presidential campaign for him here in LA. And he's got an army of bots. I oh, mean, yeah, they, all those bots yes. are pulling for him on Twitter. Vapors yeah. for Garcetti. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a lot of like, you know, like state, state specific people for Garcetti. It's very strange, but I think people, for whatever reason, are hyping this up. I think it's a little bit funny because he's so unpopular here, but, you know, nationally, it's, you know, he's framed as this great guy. Right, because they have, I mean, most of these people haven't done their digging. When he does, um, he's done a lot of national press. You'll see a, a clip come out every, like, one one or two weeks from, like, The Atlantic, where he'll call up his buddy Jeff Goldberg, or, or, or like, or, or, or Ezra Klein, or someone like that. Um, one of the ones we found was, it was wild. We found the person who wrote, it wasn't, it was, it was a profile in the last two or three months, but we found out the person, because it was an LA writer, we're like, who knows this, who's this writer is? Uh, we found out the writer was the like brother of the keyboard player at Garcetti's synagogue. Sorry, sorry for, um, so he, he just, he just, he, um, but that, that's mainly the narrative is that like, well, and I think that's what's emboldening other mediocre white males is Trump's winning. And like, he's, he's not like Trump's winning, uh, I think is under, and the power that Republicans have is so underrated for how many bad liberals have are getting away with like literal murder and he's like one of the key ones and i think eventually the national media will probably scrutinize him more um potentially because uh, there are good writers there nationally that will kind of but he's he's really um gotten by on evading um any sort of adversarial press like kpcc who broke the behested story behested payment story in the last year in that piece you should all check that out there's this there's a paragraph where he talks about they were trying to have an interview with him about like talking about where are you what are you doing with this 31 million dollars and where'd you get it and is this ethical blah 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 and he was going to set up an interview he canceled several times which he's done with other journalists i know that has interviewed us for different stories nationally like the new york times vice and other people those stories eventually get killed because he will not sit down and then because journalism so fucked up they think that that means that the story's gonna be imbalanced because the party in power just declined to be involved in this piece because they don't want to be asked hard questions so he in, in eventually asked kpcc to um submit questions in writing which like for a real journalist you don't do that um and i don't i forget if they said yes or not eventually long story short it didn't happen that's his routine with adversarial journalism um and it's so far been successful but i think it's just it's incalculated like eventually people are going to be in the most obvious thing is the where where the narrative is going to go if he runs for president is how come you, you uh, homelessness exploded X times under your, un, 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 when you were mayor, and and if you want to go back in the twenty years you've been in LA public uh, service, like it's not just the ten year. It'll be more than that. It'll be however long for two terms. It'll be like ten and a half years or something, yeah. or no, nine and a half years. Um, 
So, so the, the narrative is right now is like, hey, wouldn't it be wild if a mayor run ran for president and won because it's never happened, and so many like, you know, people who are reading these things are like, that's that would be a crazy asterisk in history kind of thing. You're like, and there's a, a bunch of other mediocre Democrat mayors around the country. One of them from my hometown, uh, Mitch Landrew, who's very much reminds me of Garcetti because he's from a political family and is a is a white guy in a, a city that is has a lot of other non-white people in it and has but has somehow coasted on being just really mediocre. And I think eventually people are going to check the receipts. And I think his game with anything, whether it's the Olympics or whatever, is like he's like, we have money. Like they have a $60 million war chest for the Olympics. He has $30 million personally. Like they can buy all the bots they want. They can buy all the media, all the shitty media that no one engages with or like build new websites or do more pop-up stores. Um, but there is no strong support for Eric Garcetti or any of his projects. There's just mostly apathy or people who are disconnected from the, the conversation. Well, I, I want to ask because he's got this big uh, kind of centerpiece for his presidential national aspirations. It seems like vaporware, like he's running on a games that won't happen for a decade. He's running on problems that he will have solved in a decade by the time those games arrive. And I was hoping you could talk a little bit about that because my feeling with this and Rachel, you and I have talked about this a bit is when he's like, hey, look at all these trains you get the trains if you bring the olympics and it's like stop extorting us eric uh but you know what do you feel like he cares whether he's going to leave the city in a better condition than when he found it or he's really just looking to springboard off of us no so i think if we take an international lens right now he is like the american Theresa may and i say that because (laughs) Theresa may has had a lackluster career filled with interviews that make no sense she says things that are just boring or she doesn't say anything at all you know as you were talking about Garcetti cancels on all these interviews there's really no kind of history of Theresa May's political career because she just doesn't really talk to anyone and she's you know she's become prime minister haphazardly um you know and whether or not she wanted that is you know not up to me to decide but I feel like if Garcetti becomes president which I don't think he will but if he does I think his presidential career because of all of these weird promises of you know we can have trains if you give us the olympics and we can have clean streets if you let us jail all these unhoused people i think all of those promises whether or not they come to fruition will just look terribly in history will look will look back on garcetti's rise to rise to president rise to his presidency um poorly the same way that people are looking at Teza now like you're messing up Brexit. You've had to create this coalition with people who are awful. And she just looks as bad as we all suspected her to be, but she just never said anything. So I think there's like these parallels here between these folks who are raised in this bubble of money and privilege and power who skate on their, you know, mediocre talents. And I'm sure he's smart. He's gone to great schools, but, you know, that doesn't really mean anything, really. Um, Look how he plays the piano. Like, you can play the piano, but, like, you can't really play the piano. You know what I mean? You can play the notes. It's mechanical. But, yeah, yeah, you're like, great. That's that's what education can buy you. Like, an expensive education can buy you these skills that... I do feel like he is just extorting the city. And I feel like, you know, you can promise people a lot of stuff in the hopes that they're silly and not paying attention and don't care about politics. And, you know, he may or may not become president, but I I hope that our, you know, voices as Angelinos who are engaged can be loud enough that we're pointing this out. And I think national media, as you said earlier, will be a lot more critical mm. than our current news desert has been of him. Because they don't have to rely on access, like on a weekly basis. Um, they can... That, you know that's just a fundamental thing and he, I think it's weird because he's he's um, in some ways can be very calculated um, 
in, in we can talk about the Senate kind of idea, the gambit over there. Um, but in, in other ways too, you know, we talked about as the boy mayor at the top, like there's something like profoundly naive about him. Like something like to me, like sometimes he acts like I think he might just genuinely be in denial and act like a child. Is like, no, I'm actually going. To, he has said he is going to essentially spearhead the end of homelessness in LA and that there will be fun. Uh, homelessness will be functionally zero by 2028. And I, part of me thinks that, like, he actually believes that. Or maybe he's deluded himself because that's one thing about him and Casey Wasserman. It's like they've never had to, like, have people say no to them, really. Or in very, you know, in very limited circumstances. Like, they didn't grow out with around poverty. I'm sure Eric's met homeless people through, you know, for a photo op. But I, I believe that Casey Wasserman probably has never met an unhoused person in his life and had a conversation with her. So how could he even possibly, like, the idea of this thing that he wants to do affecting these people is so abstract because he just doesn't understand poverty or no or challenges or like life not working out like immaculately and um and so i think i think that he thinks i mean i imagine he thinks that everything is going to go well i've heard you know i people come to us with rumors now because we're very outspoken about him um one of the persistent rumor i've got if you want to talk about the senate if that's cool if that yeah because obviously a lot of people um have been speculating whether or not he's running for president because he's going to all these primary states and he's being very like unsmooth about it but um um and that's in 2020 um i believe that he probably will throw his hat in there and might get a tim kane kind of vp out of it or might somehow magically run the table um um who you know like i i believe it's possible i don't want to throw that out there as like a possibility because just we live in the hell world and like anything all the worst possibilities are usually going to happen in this hell simulation but but he, he um, a more realistic scenario that I see, and obviously depends on how things go down this November, and I've heard this from several people, I've seen this confirmed in other weird message boards about the city, but is the idea that he's gunning for Dianne Feinstein's seat. And so, and you might be a better way is that like state politics, because I don't pay attention to the state level as much, um, but the way it was explained to me is that he, if she wins re-election, in a couple years she's going to step down or retire for whatever, or die, uh, and as a three-way kind of deal with Diane, with uh, with Newsom for Garcetti not running because knowing he wouldn't want win, but it would save Newsom some money and some cash. Yeah. You mean running uh, challenging Run, him for governor for governor yeah. for the governor race that's happening as well, um, and assuming that he's going to win. Uh, that if when she retires, then the governor gets to appoint the replacement. When they, I think they don't have to have a special election. Yeah. Um, so it's a way for him to bypass democracy and to just get one of the most influential democratic seats there is um and and then in 2024 or 2028 or 2032 once you're this kind of resistance warrior on a national level and i think you do have much better chances then and like that scares me and like i don't know what kevin DeLeon's chances are and i know that dsa won't come out and endorse him i will vote for him personally i'm sure uh, the prospect you know like anything to kind of disrupt that um because that seems sneaky and calculated and more realistic. Now, I wanted to ask, to, as we kind of round this out, uh, what are the chances for disabusing Eric of this notion that he should bring the Olympics here? Because he doesn't sound like someone who has a lot of connection to the city. His connection is to the money this is going to make him, the power that's going to bring him. So, you know, where Boston was able to drive the Olympics away through showing consistent lack of public support and even public disdain, what are our options here in L.A. with our, our very obstinate boy mayor? Well, we're working on that, and I, and I think we'll talk, we'll have, um, at some point in September, we'll have results from our surveys and research we've done that we saved up a little bit of money and spent months or this whole year basically working on in the background. And I think hopefully the press will pick up on some of them and hopefully an academic institution or other journalism uh, institutions will do more thorough and 
deeper research than we have the resources to do. And um, I think if it becomes politically toxic, he's like anyone would would because Marty Walsh did that in Boston. He was the one who brought it in, and he's like, and people they prove that like half of the city or close to like are close enough would be vehemently against this or enough to make it difficult, and they scared them off. So I think if we have numbers to do that, he obviously has his own polling team at LMU that gives him the numbers he wants, um, and we'll probably unpack that more a little bit later. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I think I think if he feel like it, like he's he's not principled enough. So I think if enough people, whether it's the press, people are protesting his house for the next few years, if he loses all these other things too, or if he like if someone else runs as his successor um, on a more radical platform, that's what happened in Rome. Like the person who brought it in, started the bidding process, was beat by someone more progressive who dismantled it. There's so much time. There's never, and you know, we'll get into that in another episode about how much time there is. But there's so many different ways for. Um, he, they, he, they, they like to say that they have 88% of Angelinos approved the Olympics, which is a lie number. It's basically closer to like 12 to 15% strongly support it. And the rest of it is like weak support or neutral. Um, so we don't actually think there's a lot of strong support besides the very specific interest, you know, special interest, which is not inconsequential, but I think he, he will jump ship, um, or, I mean, he's the only real defender of it. Or, either way, he's going to be out of the equation by 2022 and a half at the latest. There's no way he's going to, like, go back to city council. You know, like, he might be... There is six years in this... in this, in this, in this this Where he's not even around to defend it. So maybe the new mayor does. I've heard rumors that Wesson doesn't even want to run. I don't know. There's a piece recently, like, who knows who's going to be in power in two or... Th- who, you know, like, who knows if we'll have someone on city council between one of our lefty groups that we're in by then. Like, um, that seems plausible if Eric Garcetti is president is plausible, which I'll concede it technically is, you know. Um, there's so many variables. And what our whole campaign, I think, our attitude is, is to not pretend like we actually know what's going to happen. We have ideas, judging by history, but, like, they are dead fixed saying these games are happening by 2028. The anecdote he was giving during the, the bidding, the three-year bidding process was, on my first day when I went into the mayor's office in 2013 after I was, you know, elected mayor, the first thing I said, I think he's, like, to himself, like, aloud. I think in his anecdote of, like, I'm going to bring the Olympics back. And so regardless of what, with, uh, whether other people want them, need them, it. what it'll mean, and he's just, you know, like 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 an only child kind of a thing, like a spoiled only child. It's like, I'm going to get that no matter what. And um, there are, you know, all sorts of environmental, ecological, other sort of um, things that can happen that will totally change the power dynamics or just or make this look silly. That And a lot of that might not even be stuff that we're, you know, directly responsible for. But yeah. I think we're... We know what we're doing. We know where the power is. We know how unstable everything is in LA. And I think a lot of that's gonna come out in the wash. And I think that's like what actually we need to hit on, right? It's like shame and embarrassment and education. It's shame because it is a selfish decision. If it is that that story is true, if he just wanted to do it regardless of how people felt, that's undemocratic and that's selfish. Mm -hmm. We need to embarrass him because this is a terrible idea. There's no reason why we need this. We don't need the Olympics to improve the city the way that we wanted to. We don't need the Olympics to have democratic input on what our community should look like. We have the money to fix the housing crisis. We, we have, have enough units. units. We have enough units. We have four times the amount of units per unhoused person. We have like 200,000 yeah. Yeah, so we now. don't we don't need, you know, money to build these shelters. We just need to unlock the doors and all of these lofts and put people in them. We have the money to improve the amount of buses that we have and improve our metro system. And we need to really push back on 
or just just you know our our educational aspect. Everyone I talk to who thinks they might want the Olympics here, five minutes into talking to them, they realize that it's a terrible idea. Oh yeah, even just the normie reasons, right? Like taxes and traffic. Like people get irritated really quickly and then you can kind of talk about like oh well policing mm-hmm. <laughs> and the environment you know tokyo is considering daylight savings time to try to keep it cooler for the athletes that's they're already giving happening. them a pill have you seen this they want to give them a pill because it's gonna be so hot in 2020 in tokyo to regulate the athlete's body temperature instead oh of God. actually addressing addressing should we have this is, is this humane to have an event when it's this hot that's wild. Um, should we make slave labor build football stadiums in the yeah, middle of qatar right? where yeah, yeah. people are dying yeah. 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 I mean, we're, you know, it's summer. I'm sweating right now. Yeah. It, anyway, yeah. that's, we'll have a whole environmental <laughs> special down the road. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's all these things that we can just push back on right now. And while he's still in office, mm-hmm. that we can just embarrass him. And him. it seems like a real key time because as we've pointed out a bunch, and like if you live in LA for any period of time, you realize that like you see the same names everywhere. There's there's the Hans, there's the Garcettis, uh, there's it, just all these political, uh, the, the Ridley Thomases, another scandal-plagued yeah. family that's, but you see over and over again, and they seem resistant and resilient, and I don't think they are any more as resilient as they used to be. So, like, this has been a fascinating dive into the mind of and and life of Eric Garcetti, who is a very, very kind of plastic, I'm doing a really good human impression type of person. Um, and it's very, very weird to live in a city that is so engaged and lively and have a mayor who is so disengaged and also never, never really here. So, Johnny, Rachel, thank you very much for joining me. Any last thoughts before we bounce out? Visit uh, where'sgarcetti.com if, if if this in- is interested to you. Start digging into city council and other power players. Like like you should know who these people are, and not to like scold people. It's like get involved. These are people who are controlling your lives, your daily lives in a way that people in national politics probably never will exert influence on your life. And we should know these people, whether you like them or not. You should know about these things. Plus, there's only 20 of them: five county board of supervisors, 15 city council Which members, 12 and a half million people were controlled by 20. 20. So that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so we'll be matters who's there and we'll be doing more work is i think people are going to get the memo on garcetti soon enough i think they're going to get the memo and get all this information you're talking about um even somehow organically on their own um about the olympics in the next 10 years we just hope it'd be sooner rather than later because i'm impatient and i don't want to like i'd rather like i'd rather not get into crisis mode in like 2026 and 2027 and start like dealing with it now. It's like, we don't have to have this. There's no reason we have to have this. We can break a contract. We do it all the time. $200 million that we get is nothing in compared to like what we give out as subsidies for luxury hotels. Like it's it's all doable. Uh, it, nothing, is, nothing is written in stone. Organize with us if you're really pissed off and you really want to get involved in this. There's so many different ways we can do that. Um, and uh, yeah, visit wheresgarcetti.com. And, and if you know where he is or if you have any ideas, if you see him around town or other states, let us know. We want to know where he is. Yeah, slap an ankle monitor on that guy. Yeah, yeah, put a bird on him that he's like tethered to or something, so we can GPS him. Let's not get started we on should. the birds right now. Let's we should. Not. Yeah, that'll be its own other thing. But yeah, thanks so much for having us again. To learn more and get involved, please visit nolympicsla.com and knock.la.